right, hello everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Heart of Flesh podcast. Um, we're going to be getting into a, another characteristic of Scripture today. We're going to be talking about the clarity of Scripture. Um, before we do that, a quick recap. Um, in our in our series so far, we have talked about how the Bible is the foundation for all knowledge and all truth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Colossians, it says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We can't have knowledge or make any knowledge claims apart from understanding God's character and God's word. Um, we did another episode that talked about the basis that we have to make knowledge claims from an atheistic worldview. Um, and what we see clearly is that there, there, there is no basis to do that. Um, God's word is the basis for, for, for truth itself, and God's character is truth itself. Uh, we talked a bit, you know, the quote by Jordan Peterson sums it up well. The Bible's not just true. It's the precondition for the manifestation of truth, right? That's kind of a, a wordy phrase, mm-hmm. um, but but that, that describes well what we've been saying. Further than that, we have a very firm basis for understanding and knowing that this is, that the Bible that we have today is indeed God's word, and that we have the right books of the Bible. We have the, the correct canon. And our understanding of that, once again, is rooted in God's character and rooted in God's purposes to save. And further than that, it is also evidenced in history. There's clear evidential um, testimony to the fact that we have the right canon a- and that the words of the Bible as they were written were always understood to be the word of God and functioned with the authority of God. Otherwise, we've talked about the, the God's word naturally being the highest authority um, for all people. It teaches us the way of salvation, and it informs how we are to live all the time and in every way. So if you haven't listened to any of those episodes, we encourage you to go back and listen to those. That really forms the foundation for, for everything that, that we will go on to teach. We need to understand the Bible. We need to understand who God is and why we believe what we believe. On, on what basis can we know what we know? So with that, we're going to get into the topic for today. Um, we're going to talk about another characteristic or attribute of God's word. Um, and we're, we're going to talk about the doctrine that, that God's word has clarity or it's clear. Um, sometimes, you know, if you read an old confession or anything, uh, anything in old English, um, this doctrine is also all usually referred to as the perspicuity of scripture. It's not a word we use a lot today. Um, a lot of times the, <coughs> the word that is used today is clarity. God's word is clear. It's able to be understood. And we're going to, we're going to unpack a bit of what that means. Um, I'm taking a few definitions here. The first definition is from, uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology book. Um, and he gives this definition of, of the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture means that the Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who will read it, seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. That's, that's Grudem's definition. Um, another definition given by the Westminster Confession of Faith is this. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all, Yet those things that are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or another that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. Okay? 
So the idea being that it's not not just the learned, not just Bible scholars, Mm -hmm. not just seminary students, not just PhDs in theology are able to attain an understanding of God's word that is sufficient. Especially in regards salvation, mm-hmm. um, God's word speaks clearly, as the Westminster Confession says. Um, all those things that are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or another that not only the learned but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. So that is saying that 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 the Bible has clarity. It gives us what we need to know, and it's clear to the understanding. What this doctrine is not saying, and this is important, this doctrine is not saying that every verse or passage of the Bible is easy to interpret or to understand, right? There are notorious, difficult passages. Um, You know, you think of some of the apocalyptic visions of Revelation. Um, You think of the apocalyptic visions of Daniel. You think about Romans 11 and the relationship between Jew and Gentile and God's plans of salvation um, and within the church and within within the realm of orthodoxy and within the realm of biblical scholarship there are disagreements on these things um, there are disagreements on some of these things even amongst people who study the Bible their whole lives mm-hmm. and sometimes they're pretty big disagreements uh, but what's important to note in that is that there's not disagreements about the nece- about but what the Bible clearly teaches about salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, amongst biblical scholars, especially evangelical biblical sco- biblical scholars, there is this doctrine is saying that the things that the Bible teaches about salvation are clear to our understanding and can be understood by anyone who, learned or unlear- unlearned, is making the use of due means to understand them. Right? You don't need a, a PhD in theology to understand the things that are necessary for salvation. The apocalyptic visions of Revelation and Daniel and the relationship between Jew and Gentile, those things are not necessary for the Christian to know for the purposes of salvation. Mm-hmm. And even and even within Scripture, in 2 Peter 3.16, when, when Peter talks about, and we've made reference to this verse a number of times, but Peter talks about the writings of Paul, he says in them there are some things that are difficult to understand that the, that the ignorant twist to their destruction. Mm-hmm. And Peter, again, is saying that there are some things that are difficult, um, but the Bible widely teaches that it does not take um, a biblical scholar or a seminary student or whatever to understand the Bible and to understand the way of salvation. This doctrine is saying that all things that are necessary and essential for us to understand are clear in the Bible. And one thing with this that is remarkable about the Bible is that it has both incredible depth and incredible richness and and nuance and yet it also has an uh, an incredible level of simplicity. You you could fill libraries with books written about the Bible and that has been done. I mean, people, volumes and volumes and volumes of writing about the Bible, writing about passages of the Bible, writing about the doctrines of the Bible, I mean, it's endless, the writing that you could do about the things that the Bible teaches. And yet, in the s- at the same time, you could reduce the message of the Bible to something so simple. 
the thing that you need to understand, the main thrust that the Bible is teaching can be reduced to something so simple. And the main thing we need to understand is, is, as Paul talks about the gospel, the gospel has the power of salvation. The, the main thrust of the Bible is telling basically this story. You could summarize it in like, in like three sentences. The story of the Bible, the, the message that the Bible is sending is that mankind was made unique in the image of God, but fell into sin and rebellion against God. And God's righteous character demands judgment against all sin because the wages the wages of death of sin is death. God's righteous character demands judgment against all sin. And the third part, God deals with sin and accomplishes salvation by putting our sins on Jesus, the incarnate son of God, the son of God made man, so that all who have genuine faith in Jesus, all who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus for their salvation, will have eternal life with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth and they do not bear the guilt of their sin it has been put on Jesus. They are given the gift of eternal life. The Bible can be summarized very quickly into that message Mm -hmm. and the scope of the Bible is to give glory to God in the understanding of that simple message. That is a simple message that uh, is easy for a child to understand, easy for anybody to understand. So not only is the Bible something with incredible depth and, and incredible amounts of, uh, of nuance and understanding, but it is also extremely simple. And it, its main theme and its main message can be summarized uh, as easily as that. So when we, when we talk about the clarity uh, of Scripture, we're talking about how the things necessary for salvation, the main message of the gospel, um, the things we, know we need to know to be saved are clearly put forward in the Bible mm-hmm. and can be understood when, re- when read and studied plainly, um, not just by someone with extraordinary intelligence or um, who spends all their time studying it, but by the Christian who, who takes due means in studying the scriptures to know them and, and seek out the truth that they teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing that I <coughs> like about what you just did, Jackson, is I think it was two episodes ago we talked about how the goal of apologetics is to share the gospel and to see people come to Christ. And the cool thing is, is when that's the heart behind why we're sharing um, like our beliefs about the Bible, like we have been for the past five episodes, is the gospel is going to ooze out naturally. And that's exactly what just happened there. When we're talking about the clarity of scripture, defining what that means in the heart of it, the gospel oozes out. And that's because, as you just kind of talked about, with the clarity of scripture, the Bible is all about salvation through Christ our Savior. And the message, that message through scripture is clear. And I think, um, I don't remember if it's in 1 Timothy or 2nd, but the scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation. And then in second Timothy, it talks about how the word of God equips us for every good work. Um, so the, the scripture is able to do both those things, uh, because it is clear in both those areas. Yeah. It makes the man of God complete for every good work. And, and it, it makes the man of God wise unto salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, you know, an, another thing as we talk about this, 
Um, and as we've talked about understanding the Bible in the in the past, we talk a lot about the role of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, what role does the Spirit of God play in this? Um, and what this doctrine this doctrine is teaching that understanding the Word of God is clear. Understanding the way of salvation is clear by anyone who comes and studies the Scripture with the proper due diligence. Mm-hmm. But there there is a problem as well. Um, we, we talk a lot about the importance of the spirit in understanding the word of God. And what, what we need to understand is that the, the one without the spirit, the Bible refers to as the natural man or the one in the flesh. Um, as Romans one talks about the natural man suppresses truth about God. It says that the things of God are folly to him. And that doesn't mean that the scripture is not clear in what it teaches. And it doesn't mean that anyone studying the scriptures can't understand what they're saying mm-hmm. but what the bible makes clear is that that the one without the spirit does not accept them first mm-hmm. corinthians two fourteen gives us an example of this and we've referenced this a few times but it says this it says the natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of god for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned mm-hmm. so for the person who can't who doesn't understand the bible it's not a problem of intellect it's a problem of rebellion against God and sin. The natural man, man does not accept the things of God because they are folly to him, and he doesn't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The fault is not with the clarity of the Bible, but with the nature of the person, and that the nature of the person is one of hostility towards God. Mm-hmm. The Bible talks about before we saved that we were enemies of God. God reconciled us while we were his enemies, mm-hmm. while we were hostile to him. Um, Romans, 1, 8, Romans 1 talks about the, na- the, the, the natural man, um, the nature of man is to suppress the truth about God in unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. So when presented with truth about God, which God wor- God's word does, the nature of the man is to suppress that truth and to dismiss it. Mm-hmm. It's to love sin and, and false gods more than the true God. Um, and I, I think there's a good analogy to illustrate this point. Um and Shout I am once again, Michael Kruger. Yeah, I am once again stealing this from Michael Kruger, but he describes it this way: um, It's like a radio transmitter and a radio receiver. Radio, a radio transmitter sends a radio signal, and a radio receiver receives a radio signal. Mm-hmm. So in this case, the radio transmitter, the one sending the signal, is God's word, and people are the radio receivers. And the assumption, when the message of God's word doesn't come through, the assumption is that something is wrong with the transmitter, Mm -hmm. that it's not sending the right signal, that there's something inherently wrong with God's word, Mm -hmm. that it's not sending the right signal. But the Bible teaches the opposite of that. The Bible teaches that there is something wrong with the receiver. The transmitter is sending the right message and it is sending a clear message but there is a problem that lies with the receiver. The receiver is hostile to God and unwilling and unable to accept the things of the Spirit of God mm-hmm. in rebellion against God, actively suppressing the truth about God. And f- further, this is just, this just it, it, it gives us insight into the, the nature of man. What is the nature of man, right? The nature of man and, and the problem that man faces is not just the, that we have sinned against God. It's not just that we commit sin. But in the New Testament, in a few spots, it says that we are slaves to sin, Mm -hmm. that we love sin, 
John 8.36, Jesus says that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Romans 6, Paul Paul calls, calls us, we who were formerly slaves to sin. So the problem is not just our, that our, our we sin, it's that our very nature is that we are slaves to sin and that we love sin. We suppress truth about God in unrighteousness. But John 8, 37, after Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Later he says, but if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus has come to set us free from our slavery to sin, from our bondage to sin. Romans 6 talks about how the work of Christ, because of the work of Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. There is a transformation that happens to the person, like Ephesians 2, who is dead in sins and transgressions, but then is but then is made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2 says, You were dead in the sins and transgressions in which you once in which you once walked, but God made you alive in Christ. There is a transformation that happens. The sinner is born again. And and further, you know, I know we, we, we call this the the Heart of Flesh podcast, and that's from Ezekiel thirty six. And it says, God says, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And what what the new what the what the Bible teaches clearly is that by nature we all have hearts of stone. But God promises for, for to us to remove our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. We need a transformation. We need a new heart. I will remove your heart of stone, I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will give you the Holy Spirit, and it will sprinkle you clean from all your uncleanness and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. That's Ezekiel 36. There needs to be a transformation of the heart. So when we talk about understanding the clarity of scripture and understanding what God's word clearly teaches, the the, the objections to this often come um, and there is a misconception that the Bible is too dense, it's too hard to understand um, but th- but the Bible teaches that that it makes wise the simple, and that God gives wisdom to anyone who seeks it. And we're going to talk about some verses here. But importantly, we do need to know just the the nature of man is hostile to God. Mm-hmm. There needs to be transformation of the heart. Mm-hmm. It's not the Scripture that's unclear, that doesn't present um, that doesn't present the truth of God clearly. But the problem is with the natural man who is rebelling against God and in sin against God and actively suppressing the truth about God. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here quick. Um, I think like, so we're talking about the clarity of scripture, right? Uh, It is clear to make people wise into salvation. And I think, I know when I was growing up, um, I kind of had that view of like, uh, I don't want to read scripture because it's going to be hard to understand. I'm not going to understand it. But when I look back at the time, what I see is that uh, my heart wasn't so much, I don't think I can understand this. It was, I don't really want anything to do with what God has to say. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we're talking about right now. The, the hostility of man's heart towards God before Christ does a work in them. And I think that's important for our, our listeners to consider. And all of us, whether we're Christian or not, um, especially if we're non-Christians, are you putting the blame on God 
for your inability to understand or even want to look into the Word of God? Are you putting the blame on the transmitter? That's an interesting person to blame. Uh, an interesting, why would you blame God? Maybe it's time to look to yourself. And the Bible puts forth the, the truest but the harshest reality of who man is. And that is that we, we actually hate God. And to hate God is equal to say we hate anything good. Mm-hmm. We hate truth. Um, so that's, that's something that we should all consider um, as, as we're talking about this. Do you yeah. think that God is the issue or are you the issue? Yeah, I, if you're someone who has difficulty opening the Bible um, or diffic- difficulty finding a desire to open the Bible, it's important that you ask yourself what the motive behind that is. Mm-hmm. If the motive behind that is that you want nothing to do with God's truth, um, that is an insufficient reason. Uh, if, if to this point you have convinced yourself that the motive um, behind not reading God's words is that you won't be able to understand it, uh, hopefully this episode will convince you otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going we're gonna to yeah. talk about, but, but I think it is important that you, you ask that question. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to look at some texts from the Bible that talk about this issue. And, uh, and I think we're going to see um, also uh, the character of God in, in giving wisdom. God is not withholding wisdom. He's not making his word too difficult to understand. Uh, the first one we're going to look at, Psalm 19, 7. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 7, it says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The purpose of God's word, and we're going to see this in other passages, God intends by his word to make wise those who are simple. Psalm 119.30, very similar. It says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. It imparts understanding to the simple. Um, God has purposes to give wisdom uh, to those who would seek it in his word. His word is intended for that very purpose. Uh, If we look at Proverbs 1, verse 20, Verse 20 through 23, it says this. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. The wisdom of God cries out. It cries aloud in the streets. It cries aloud in the markets. It, it cries aloud in all of God's creation. The wisdom of God cries out to the simple. And it asks this question to the simple. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? The word of God gives the wisdom of God to make wise the simple. Proverbs 9 uh, has something very similar. And I want to, I mean, even just reflecting on that verse again, the problem is not that the simple can't be made wise. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the, the simple loves simplicity. Mm-hmm. The, the problem f- the is... The fool loves folly. Yeah, the fool loves his folly. Mm-hmm. So in, in chapter 9 of Proverbs, uh, there's the p- personification of both wisdom and folly. Um, and... and Proverbs 9 opens this way. 
It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and live, and walk in the way of insight. In that passage, it personifies wisdom as a woman who has set a table. She's um, creating a feast, and she is calling out to the simple, saying, Let him turn in here, and to him who lacks sense, come eat of my bread, come partake of my feast, leave your simple ways, and live, and walk in the way of insight. And later in the same chapter, uh, there's the personification of the way of folly, of foolishness. And in the same way, it's personified in a woman, in the woman folly. So this is Proverbs 9, 13. Uh, We're going to go through verse 18. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So in this instance, you have both wisdom and folly. They're both setting a banquet, and they're both crying out to the simple, Come and turn in here and take part in my feast. They both have the same quotation. Verse 4 and verse 16 are the same. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says this. So there's a clear contrast going on. But what's important is that both wisdom and folly cry out to the simple uh, and invite them to the banquet to, banquet to partake uh, of the feast. And and, it, and the choice is with the foolish um, and the simple of which feast that they're going to partake in. The feast of folly leads to death and the feast of wisdom leads to life. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the ways of insight. God imparts wisdom from his word. Um, And then the ways God's wisdom is crying out to the simple, saying, leave your simple ways, come and feast and live and walk in the way of insight. There is an invitation for all who are are seeking wisdom. Uh, Likewise, in the New Testament, Joshua gave us the example um, from 2 Timothy 3.15. Uh, I'm going to turn there quick just so we make sure we get the right passage. Okay. So Paul is writing to Timothy. Um, here we go, Second Timothy 3.15. Uh, Paul is talking about, about Timothy. He says, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings, the scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And he goes on in the next verse, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation. They are able to teach us of salvation. They are able to give us understanding of salvation so that we know the way of salvation. We've talked in here before about God's character, God's purposes to save, and God intends to make us wise for salvation. 
Likewise, in, in the first chapter of James, James 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask a God who gives generously to all without reproach. The character of God is to impart wisdom mm-hmm. to the simple, and the word of God is intended to impart wisdom to the simple. It is not just to impart wisdom to everybody who goes to Bible college or everybody that goes to seminary or everybody that wants to be a pastor or everybody that wants to be a Ph.D. in theology. The word of God is intended to impart wisdom to the simple and to give understanding to those who lack it, to make us wise for salvation. That And, and the character of God is such is that if any of us lack wisdom, we have a plea with God who gives generously to all without reproach. God gives wisdom in his word. Praise God. Praise God that we have a God who doesn't discriminate. He doesn't hold some people in higher regard and choose to reveal secret knowledge to them. There are actually some religions out there, uh, probably a lot more than we would probably think, that hold to this idea that only certain people are given special knowledge or special revelation from God. And it's only those people who have truth. And there's even some religions that say only um, certain people can can read a book and understand it correctly. Mm-hmm. And they have to be the dissemination yeah. disseminators I- of knowledge. I- Islam says you have to read the Quran mm-hmm. in Aramaic. In Arabic. Yep. You do have to read it in Arabic. Yep. So what what do you do in that religion? Like well, what is their good news for English speaking people? Right. Th- I mean it's literally like, well, too bad for you. Yeah, well it essentially demands conquest. Mm-hmm. It demands conquest and conformity to culture and and language. Yep. Um whereas the Bible celebrates culture celebrates language it celebrates unity though in christ mm-hmm. it celebrates unity in christ and in the simplicity of the gospel mm-hmm. it is not some elaborate man-made scheme um but it's a simple message of good news about a savior who was crucified to pay for sin mm-hmm. and our belief and our trust in him and in the repentance of our sin we are saved by his work we are saved by his work, and that is good news uh, for us. And, and the Bible talks about how the gospel is for all people. Mm-hmm. For God shows no partiality, for there is no distinction yep. between ethnicity, sex, um, level of intellect. The gospel is for all people, and the word of God is able to make, make us wise for salvation. Mm-hmm. It's able to make us wise for salvation. Um with that, uh, I think this is an important misconception to address. Yep. Um, we talk about the, the clarity of the Bible. Um, we talk about how the Bible gives clear teaching um, that, that, that anyone can approach it um, and by due means understand what the Bible teaches about salvation. But the Bible does not promise to impart wisdom you know, somehow directly into our brain right mm-hmm. or or just to just to give it to us um but through ordinary means of studying God's word mm-hmm. God imparts wisdom to us this doctrine is not is not saying that we can just immediately understand God's word without any studying of it mm-hmm. the bible and the word of god is that's not the role that God intends the word of his word to play in our lives his word is supposed to be a part of our everyday life 
and over time uh, and over study, we grow in knowledge of it and we grow in wisdom. And we've referenced this a bit before, but we're going to go to Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, and it shows pretty well the, the role that the Word of God is supposed to play in the life of the Christian. So Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 says, In these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is meant to affect your heart. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be part of your everyday life. When you sit down, when you rise, it, it's, it's every single day. And further than that, it is commanded that we teach it diligently to children. Teach it diligently to your children. And the word of God is simple enough. The message of God's salvation is simple enough to be taught to children. Mm-hmm. And, and you see this. I, if you know children uh, who are raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord, I think Jude talks about that or somewhere it talks about that. You can encounter children that, I mean, you're you're amazed by how well they understand the gospel and how they understand the message of salvation. It's a simple message, you know. Children that that memorize scripture, um, and that have a functional ability to read the Bible, and to understand what it's saying, um, and, and for their parents to teach it to them in a way that they can understand. It's a simple message, and it's intended to be that. Um, it's intended to be part of our everyday lives. We are supposed to absorb this word into our hearts, and it's supposed to be on our minds. Psalm 1 talks about how it says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There is blessing for the one who meditates on God's word day and night. And that phrase day and night, is it's a Hebrew mirrorism. It's two contrasting things that make a complete whole. Day and night. Essentially, it means that you're supposed to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Day and night. All of all the time. Meditate on God's word day and night. Um, Proverbs 2, 1 through 15. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip there quick. This just give us gives us a, another example of the importance of seeking wisdom. Wisdom comes to those who seek wisdom. It's not imparted just to those who desire it, but it comes to those who seek wisdom. So this is Proverbs chapter 2. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil and from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Wisdom comes to those who seek it. Verse 4, if you seek wisdom like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So in our understanding, 
of what it means to to seek wisdom. We're called to value the wisdom of God more than silver or hidden treasure, mm-hmm. more than any amount of money, more than any amount of, of, of other thing. We're to value and treasure and seek out the wisdom of God. Um, and God gives wisdom. Verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That is the character of God to give wisdom to those who seek it. And we are called to absorb God's word into our heart, to make it part of our everyday life, and over time to grow in our understanding of it and to seek the wisdom of God and to value it more than money, to value it more than silver, to value it more than anything. Mm-hmm. One of these, one thing, one of the things I'm thinking about as uh, you're going through these passages, and I'm being reminded of is um, when we approach Scripture uh, and and desiring to know God, um, to know Him through His Word, we should come to the Scriptures encouraged, because God is he takes delight in revealing himself to those who seek after him. I think we were just at community group and one of the guys there had a shirt on and I have the same shirt. And I think it's Matthew seven, seven It says, seek and you shall find knock and the door will be opened. Act, ask and you shall receive it may not be in that exact order. Um, but it is a blessing to know that when we, c- we come to scripture, if we're seeking after God, we're seeking after wisdom James 1.5, we just read, he will impart it to us. And this is, this is said essentially kind of sums up the, the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, is he will make clear, and he has made clear through his word, that which is necessary to know him. Praise God. Yep. Uh, and, it, and it does not come, like, like we talked mm-hmm. about, by some magical imparting uh, of wisdom directly to our brain, but it comes by the ordinary means of careful study and devotion and, and time spent studying God's word and knowing it and, and receiving it into our hearts. Yeah, it takes work, right? We think of work as a as a almost like a curse in this day and age. Um, but if we look back all the way to Genesis chapter one, work was a blessing. It was there before the fall. Work is a good thing. And the same is true when we come to scripture. It takes work to understand and interpret it correctly. But it is a blessing to go through that process. I think Jackson and I could both attest to the fact that when we get to study scripture and we start seeing clearly what it's saying, those are some of the most blessed times in our lives when it's with our wives. I know you've talked about you and Michaela going through uh, the minor prophets now. And what was I think it was Isaiah you guys just went through. Like those times are a blessing that we get to share with our wives as we're going through scripture. And guess what? We're living out Deuteronomy six six through nine the shema Mm -hmm. yeah the word of god is meant to be man it's meant to be a part of our everyday life Mm -hmm. right Uh, and we're meant to take delight in god's word when you read the psalms like some that we read earlier yeah it talks about delighting in god's word Mm -hmm. and not just that but there is blessing to the man whose delight is in the word of god Mm -hmm. and who meditates on his law day and night the rest of that psalm says he will be like a tree planted by streams of water mm-hmm. whose leaf does not wither and who bears its fruit in all seasons. The studying and meditating the word of God is, 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 a, is a blessing to the ones who do it. And for the man who meditates on God's law, the promise is that he will be like 
a tree planted by streams of water, always bearing fruit, <coughs> always bearing fruit, and whose leaf never withers. Uh, that That is the, the blessing and the promise given to him who meditates on God's word and understands it. Um, so I think last of all, um, we're trying to maybe make some of these not well quite as long. Um, but the other misconception, you know, that we want to address, uh, and, and this, this doctrine, uh, the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, has some historical significance. There, there, there's debate um, among, among Protestants and among the Catholic Church about this doctrine. Uh, the, the, the Protestant doctrine that, the, that, that Scripture has clarity, um, that it can be understood by ordinary means, by ordinary people, um, is 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 in contrast to the Roman Catholic doctrine of the imperspicuity of Scripture, in which Scripture does not have those qualities. It cannot be understood by normal norm, normal people and by normal ordinary means. Um, but the magisterium, the official teaching office and authority of the Catholic Church, that includes the Pope and and several bishops. They're they're the ones in charge of interpreting scripture and and giving the final infallible interpreters interpretation of it and what it means. So this doctrine has historical importance. And the first thing I want to note is that the understanding of this doctrine can and has led, uh, I should say, the misconceptions of this doctrine can and has led to some harmful things. Mm-hmm. This doctrine teaches that the, the things that are necessary for us to know are clearly taught in the Bible, and we can know them by reading the Bible. But a, a, a misconception that has come from that is essentially this. Because the Bible can teach me everything that I need through careful study, therefore I do not need the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and and th- there's, no, there's no role that the church has in teaching Scripture or in giving interpretation of Scripture. That is a misconception. Yeah, we could not disagree more with that, and neither could Scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible clearly talks about, you know, Hebrews uh, 10, 24 through 25. It talks about do not forget to stir each other up. Do not for neglect to meet together. Um, do not neglect to meet together. There is importance about Christian fellowship. We are all called and commanded by God to, to partake in Christian fellowship, not to neglect to meet together. Um, Hebrews 13, uh, 13, 17. Uh, it says to even members of the church that they are the sub- to submit to the elder authorities in the church above them, to submit to the elders in their church, um, to come underneath the authority that that the that the elders have. And when we see the in, in the book of Acts, Paul is essentially on missionary journeys and he's planting churches, and he is appointing elders to those churches. And the purpose of those elders in those churches is to guard sound doctrine and to refute false doctrine. So for Christians, and especially young Christians, it is very important that they come into the care and shepherding of mature Christians and qualified elders and pastors and teachers of God's word to guard against doctrinal error. There is a place for in the church for um, authority structures and the teaching of God's word. Now, the Roman Catholic doctrine of the imperspicuity of Scripture says that the ordinary person has actually no role in interpreting Scripture um, and needs to submit their interpretation to the interpretation of the magisterium. And that is clearly not biblical either. Um, But instead, you know, that's an an overreach of what the Bible talks about when it comes to the authority of elders. 
Um, but but what the Bible clearly clearly teaches, and this is especially seen in the pastoral epistles as well in First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus. Uh, but Christians are called to be part of a church and to submit to the elders of that church. And qualifications are given to who should be the elders of a church. It's not just anyone who can be an elder of a church or who should be an elder of a church. James says that not many of you should become teachers because you will be judged by a harsher standard, a more strict standard. Um, but this is who Titus 1.9 gives us an, an example of who it is that should be elders or who it is that should be appointed to be overseers of churches. And this is I'm going to start in first Timothy or first or Titus one five. Paul says to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. In many of Paul's writings, Paul is writing, especially to Timothy and Titus, with the understanding he's writing to refute false doctrine and to encourage them to also refute false doctrine and to appoint elders to to appoint faithful and trustworthy men of who are above reproach and of extremely high character lovers of good and who are able to teach and who are able to teach true true doctrine and also refute false doctrine much that is what surrounds the pastoral epistles, and that is the qualifications for, for elders. Um, so for younger Christians to fall into the shepherding and care of these types of elders is important. Mm-hmm. A- and to come into the fellowship of Christians is important. Just because that we we can know everything we need to know from the Bible about salvation does not mean that we should. Mm-hmm. The Bible does not teach that we should. It certainly teaches that we can. It does not teach that we should, mm-hmm. right? Instead, well, also there's a process. So we are saying that scriptures make us wise, can make us wise unto salvation. It is clear to do that. But the Christian life doesn't stop after you're saved. There's a process called sanctification that goes on, and God doesn't only use the means of the word to sanctify us. He uses fellowship with believers, often in the context of a local church setting, and he uses prayer as well, and and other things as well. But like, those are almost the three pillars by which he sanctifies us. It's not just by the word. It's by the word of God revealed to our hearts that we are saved, but that is not the only, the Christian life doesn't stop there. The process of sanctification, the means by which he does that is not only through the word of God. Yeah. And even for the elder, um, in, in first t- in, in, or in Titus 1.9, uh, it's also clear what is the authority figure for the one who's appointed the elder. Verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Mm-hmm. The word is his authority. He holds firm to the word. He, re- he rebukes and refutes sound doctrine. Um, false doctrine, and he gives instruction in sound sound doctrine. 
but his authority figure is the word of God. Um, and, and he should be able to teach and to give instruction uh, in the sound doctrine of the word of God. And for many Christians, um, it is important that they come underneath this teaching. He devotes himself to the ministry of the word, to the studying of God's scriptures, and he teaches it and imparts it to God's people as they come and listen. Right? Uh, there, there's a lot of passages in Acts that talk about, you know, the, the importance of the preaching of the word and the ministry mm-hmm. of the word. Uh, there's there's one instance in the Gospel of Mark where, where Jesus, you know, they come to him and there's more people waiting to be healed and miraculously uh, delivered from their afflictions. And Jesus says, I he says, we must go on to another town because I have come here to preach the word. I've mm-hmm. come here to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm not to do miracles, not to perform signs and wonders, but I've come to preach and teach the gospel uh, of the kingdom of God. And that is the same task that belongs to the elder. And, and that is the same, th- the same um, for that elder, um, all, all the Christians under his care, he is responsible to teach them uh, sound doctrine and to refute the false doctrine that comes. So for, the, for, for every Christian, just because that we can know the things we need to know, it is still imperative that we come underneath the authority of, of good Bible teachers and faithful elders. Yeah, and we're not saying that's the only thing. We're not saying that. They're, they're doing much more than just teaching the Word of God. They are to be an example to the flock as well. Uh, we're just setting up, uh, you could think of like guardrails of how you could use this doctrine incorrectly. Right. Um and with that, as far as we understand also the authority structure of the of the church, um, to come underneath an elder, biblically, is not to necessarily accept everything that they mm-hmm. teach. There are many poor teachers of the Bible out there. Very. Uh, many very poor teachers. Um, and, and the Christians submitting to their eldership is, is doing something not good mm-hmm. um, and, and should flee from that church. Uh, so we are not just to blindly accept everything that the authority structure of the church of the church teaches, but we are to test it against the word of God. First Thessalonians five twenty one, Paul talks about testing everything. First John four one, it says, "Don't believe everything, um, don't believe every spirit." I can't remember how that goes. I got to turn there. Yeah, quick. First John four, right here. It says, "Beloved, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God." For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Um, so, so there is this reality of, of false teaching and false doctrine, and we're called to be wary against it and to test um, false teachers by the word of God and by the fruit of their lives. Matthew 7, mm-hmm. Jesus says, You will know a false prophet by their fruit. Mm-hmm. You don't pick grapes from fig trees. Or no, how's it go? You don't pick thorns from, from fig trees. Uh, I can't remember exactly how it goes. It's unimportant. But no. the point is the fruits reveal uh, the works of a person's life, reveal the genuineness of their teaching. Um, I- if a person is not living a godly life, then then you can know uh, that they are not a true prophet, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that they are not a, a teacher that you should fall underneath. Mm-hmm. And that's why in the qualifications for elders, so many of them talk about the character of the elder. Because the character of the uh, elder gives evidence um, of the, the, the veracity of the doctrine that they teach. Um, further in this example, um, there's this example of Acts where Paul is going around and 
and teaching the word of God. He's planting churches. There's this example of uh, the Bereans mm-hmm. um, in the city of Berea. So in Acts 17.10, um, and we're going to see from this example what it, what it looks like properly uh, to test things against the scriptures. Uh, verse 10, and it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now verse 12, many of them therefore believed. Many of them therefore believed. So part of the reason they believed is because they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And they tested him against the scriptures and they saw that the teaching of Paul was true. So in the same sense, um, when we hear teaching, we, we should always be like the Bereans, mm-hmm. testing it against scripture to see if it is true. And because the Bereans did this, many of them therefore believed because Paul was teaching the truth about God. He was teaching the truth about the Messiah, about the Christ from the scriptures. And they tested that um, and they saw to be true and many of them therefore believed so um, I hope we've laid forward a good doctrine of of the clarity of scripture um, how God is able to make wise the simple uh, God's desire to impart wisdom uh, to his people our responsibility to seek and search out that wisdom to to value the wisdom of God more than silver uh, more than gold more than more than any riches or any any fame or popularity or anything that we could have um, and further than that, I hope I hope we have displayed clearly, and, and we do want to keep this um, at the forefront of all of our teaching, yep. uh, that Christians should not d- should not isolate themselves mm-hmm. and isolate themselves to their own interpretation of the Bible, um, but should should be involved in, in faithful churches um, with good pastors and good elders who demonstrate uh, mm-hmm. their ability to lead by by the by their character. Um, and who are able to teach the Bible. And so, yeah, so yeah, with that, we, we, we encourage all of you guys, if you're not part of a, a, a good local church, uh, to be part of a good local church, mm-hmm. uh, to understand what they're teaching, uh, what their doctrines are. And further than that, even, even w- well, we encourage you to read your Bible, mm-hmm. um, to study it, to value the wisdom of God more than anything, but also, um, feel free there's so many resources Mm -hmm. you know there's so many faithful and and wonderful theologians throughout church history and we have access to many of their writings there are many people who spend their whole lives studying the bible who are brilliant much smarter than us much smarter than us and write and um leave behind and give to the church gift to the church a deeper understanding of god's word Mm -hmm. So be encouraged not just to read your Bible, but to read books about the Bible, to read commentaries about the Bible, Mm -hmm. um, to read books about theology. Um, Be encouraged to do that. Do not isolate yourself uh, to just your own interpretation. Um, Though, as we have seen clearly today, um, the Bible teaches us all that is necessary for us. Um, It gives clarity on that. But that does not mean that that is something that we should do or should rely on. Mm -hmm. So I hope that we have covered all of that well um this episode looks like it's going to be a little bit shorter uh than some of the others i think that's probably a good thing um thank you guys for listening uh this has been a blast for us and you know we hope to see you guys 
Uh, hopefully putting out another episode sometime next week. Yep. Thank you guys. See you.